Well, my name is Adam. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm part of the team here and it's great to have you with us today. Did you pick up on the little reference to masks in there? <laughs> That's why you're wearing masks, to cover up greed. <laughs> I want to begin today by sharing or acknowledging something painful. And it's not that the Brisbane Broncos have been struggling lately, which sadly is true. Though there are signs of hope, we're turning it around. Now, it pains me to say it, but the church has a credibility problem. The church has a reputational issue. Now, at one level, this is to be expected. The Bible is clear that the world, those outside the church, will not always think well of the church. They'll think that our message is foolishness, 1 Corinthians 1. They'll think that our lives are strange, even evil, 1 Peter chapter 2. And so we shouldn't always expect to have a good reputation. But there's another layer to this. There's another aspect of our poor reputation that is painful because the painful truth is it's our fault. In fact, the really painful truth is that it's largely the fault of people in my position, church leaders. The church has received a black eye in recent years, not simply because of what we believe, but because of the behavior of some of its leaders. So perhaps most publicly and perhaps most significantly in Australia, there was the Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse. The findings of that commission were horrific and heartbreaking. Those who should have protected these children in their care, they instead preyed on them. Then, of course, there are other sex scandals. There's been a number of high-profile church leaders in recent years that have either had affairs or committed sexual assault. Ravi Zacharias, Carl Lentz, Bill Hybels. There have also been controlling, domineering leaders. Right now, there's a podcast out that I've been listening to called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It tells the story of Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill Church their meteoric rise and their catastrophic implosion, which was largely a result of Mark's angry, abusive, domineering leadership. And it's not just him, there are others as well. Then, of course, there are the preachers that you see on TV. Now, I'm not saying all preachers on TV are dodgy, but you know the ones I'm talking about. Ones with fancy suits and shiny teeth and private jets and palatial mansions and that say, if you give to them, then God will give to you. Which is enough to make you vomit a little bit. And I think the average Aussie looks at this, the cover-ups, the greed, the manipulation, the abuse, the scandals, and it often makes them turn away. To reject the church or worse, to reject Christ. The church has a credibility problem. And so what's the answer? What's the solution? Well, thankfully, the answer is relatively simple. I mean, if the problem is that some Christians and some leaders have bought into a warped, unhealthy, unbiblical vision of leadership and ministry then the solution is for us to learn and to pursue and to practice a healthy, holistic, biblical vision of leadership and ministry. A vision 
of leadership and ministry that God intended. And thankfully, this is what we're given in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, last week, we kicked off a series in 1 Thessalonians. If you're not familiar with it, 1 Thessalonians is very simpler, simply a letter in the New Testament. It was written about 50 years after Jesus' resurrection and return to heaven. It was written by a man named Paul and some of his co-workers, and they wrote it to a church in the city of Thessalonica, which, by the way, still exists to this day. If you were able to get on a plane, you could fly over to Greece and visit Thessaloniki. It's on the sea, uh, the, the coast of Greece. Now, about 2,000 years ago, Paul and some of his co-workers, they visited the city of Thessalonica. They preached the gospel, men and women became Christians, and a church was born. Now, normally, when Paul did this, when he planted a church, he would hang around for a little while. He would train leaders, he would help the church get going. But after about three weeks in Thessalonica, Paul and his co-workers had to run for their lives. There was a group there that didn't like Paul, and they didn't like his message about Jesus. And so they ran him out of town. You can read all about it in Acts 17. Now, after he fled the city, you can imagine that Paul would have been concerned for this young baby church. And so after a few months, he sent another co-worker named Timothy to check on them. Timothy got back to Paul with an encouraging report, and Paul then wrote and sent the letter that we know as 1 Thessalonians. And last week in chapter 1, Paul began by encouraging the Thessalonians because of their genuine faith. He actually called them, in verse 7, a model to other believers. They're doing really well, and Paul wants to encourage them. But this week, in chapter 2, Paul now turns the attention on himself. Paul begins to describe his ministry among them, his earlier visit to them, specifically what he did and the way that he did it. If chapter 1 is all about the Thessalonians' genuine faith, then chapter 2 is all about Paul's genuine ministry. Now the question is, why? Why would Paul start to talk about himself? Why would Paul start to talk about what he did and the way that he did it? It seems a little bit self-focused, doesn't it? I mean, if he's writing a letter to encourage and to instruct these believers, why talk about himself? The answer, it seems, is that Paul is defending himself. This group that ran him out of town, it seems that they weren't content with just getting rid of him. They wanted to damage his reputation so that they could destroy the church that Paul had started. And so they started a smear campaign, slandering Paul, accusing Paul. We, we can kind of reconstruct what they were saying from what Paul says here. It seems that they were saying to him, he played, that they were saying to the Thessalonian believers, he played you. He didn't care about you. He only cared about what he could get from you. He was after money and applause and power. He tricked you into believing his message. He flattered you. He made empty promises to you. But it was all a mask for his greed and his selfishness. And in the end, this Paul, he was a failure anyway. He ran away and he hasn't come back. Now put yourself in the sandals of the Thessalonians. They're new Christians. They only spent a short amount of time with Paul to hear that they'd been exploited or tricked. It would have been very unsettling to them. And they're facing opposition for their faith in Jesus from those around them. You can imagine that doubts would have started to creep in. 
And so it's very important that Paul responds to the charges against him. The truth of the gospel and the future of this church were at stake. And so this is what Paul does. He defends his ministry. And this is valuable information for the Thessalonians, but it's also valuable information for you and for me. Because in defending his ministry, Paul actually gives us a vision of healthy, authentic ministry. He shows us what his ministry looks like and so what ours should look like as well. And so this passage can kind of be like a bright light among the abuse and the greed and the scandals that we see around us. It helps us to know what an authentic ministry should look like. And Paul actually gives us four signs that we should look for in an authentic Christian ministry. And this will help us to know and to be discerning about ministries around us. So let's look at the four signs that Paul gives us of authentic Christian ministry. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. It's a willingness to suffer. Nice, easy way to begin. (laughs) But in defending himself, Paul begins in verses one and two by saying to the Thessalonians, when we came to you, we didn't come on a private jet. We didn't come wearing Armani suits. And we didn't even receive a warm welcome. In fact, he says, we had just been stripped, flogged, and arrested in Philippi. And we knew that more of the same probably was waiting for us at Thessalonica. But we came anyway. We came to share the gospel, the message of God's grace in Christ with you. In fact, look at what Paul says in verse two. With the help of our God, We dared to tell you his gospel. Now, the word dared, uh, translated literally, means to speak freely, openly, fearlessly. It means to speak with courage. Paul knew that to speak about Jesus in Thessalonica, it was probably going to cost him. It was probably going to lead to pain for him. But he did it anyway because Paul was willing to suffer for the gospel. And this is a sign of authentic ministry. And it shows us that suffering itself is not a sign of failure. It's not a sign that God has abandoned you or forgotten about you. God had certainly not abandoned or forgotten about Paul. Paul says, no, no, God was helping us in the midst of the pain and the difficulty. And God certainly will not forget or abandon you and I today. You know, it reminds me of the story of Jim Elliott and his four friends and fellow missionaries. They traveled to Ecuador to reach the Hurani Indians with the gospel for the first time in history. And on January 8, 1956, on a sandbar beside a river in Ecuador, these five men were speared to death. Now, was that a tragedy? Had God forsaken and forgotten about Jim Elliot and his friends? You know, at the time of his death, he'd only been married three years and he had a 10-month-old daughter. Was it a senseless loss? Well, if you are familiar with Jim Elliot, you might also be familiar with his famous creed, this creed that defined his life, which said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, Jim was willing to give what he could not keep, his life, 
None of us can ultimately keep our lives. And he was willing to give it to gain what he cannot lose. Life with God, relationship with God forever. Which is the same thing that Jesus said to us in Luke 9. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. A mark of authentic Christian ministry is a willingness to suffer for the gospel. And this is important because there's plenty of people who are willing to tell you otherwise. God doesn't want you to suffer. God wants you to be healthy, happy, and rich. But the Christian life inevitably involves suffering. We follow a crucified saviour, and we follow his path, suffering, then glory. And so when you look at a leader or a ministry, look at what they say about suffering. Look at their attitude towards suffering. Because the first sign of authentic ministry is a willingness to suffer for the gospel. Secondly, the second sign of authentic ministry is this. It's faithfulness to the gospel. Faithfulness to the gospel. You know, when I was a bit younger and still living at home, I would occasionally house sit for different people. I even house sat a cat one time. Yeah. And I'd normally go over to the house before they left and and they would kind of run me through what to do and where things were. And almost on all occasions, the the people I was house-sitting for, they would say something along the lines of, just treat it like your own home. Just make yourself at home here. Which, you know, is a dangerous thing to say to a teenage boy. I leave my dishes and dirty clothes lying everywhere. The truth is, I wasn't going to take that advice because it wasn't my home. It had been entrusted to me, but it didn't belong to me. I couldn't treat it just however I wanted to. I was responsible for the house and I was accountable to its owners. And Paul says something similar about the gospel. He says that when he and Silas and his co-workers came to the Thessalonians, they came, verse 4, as those approved by God. They're God's approved messengers. And they were entrusted with the gospel. They carried God's approved message, the message of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. They were, if you like, house sitters of the gospel. It had been entrusted to them, but it didn't belong to them, which means they couldn't do with it whatever they wanted. They couldn't change it. Their role was to simply pass it on faithfully and truthfully. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, this is exactly what we did. We didn't trick you. We didn't flatter you. We didn't try to get anything from you. We didn't want money. We didn't want applause. We didn't, weren't looking for approval. In fact, he says at the end of verse four, we're not trying to please God. Oh, sorry. We're not trying to please people, people, but God who tests our hearts. And so I said earlier that suffering is not necessarily a sign of failure, I would add that popularity is not necessarily a sign of success because what matters most in ministry and in life, it's not the approval of people. It's not the applause of people, but the approval of God. You know, what matters is not getting to the end with thousands and thousands of social media followers. What matters is getting to the end to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And this is really, really important because if we fall into the trap of wanting to please people rather than God, we might be tempted to tone down the gospel. 
we might be tempted to edit it or to change it or to make it more palatable for people. Now, of course, we need to contextualize the gospel. We need to speak clearly and gently and and graciously. We need to speak respectfully to all people, 1 Peter 3. We also, however, need to speak faithfully. We need to faithfully pass on the gospel of God. And this means, if I could be so bold as to ask, please pray for us. Please pray for us, your church leaders. Pray that we might continue to faithfully pass on the message of God's grace in Christ, even when or if it becomes difficult to do so. And by the way, this is how you know if you're in an authentic Christian church. I mean, if you ever move away from this area and, you know, why would you? Beautiful here. It's winter at the moment, crazy. We can go outside and enjoy the sun. In other words, don't move. I love you all too much. But if you ever do move away from this area, if you ever have to look for another church, this is one of the main ways you'll know that if there is authentic Christian ministry happening, that if leaders faithfully preach and apply God's word, even if or when it becomes difficult to do so. So a sign of authentic Christian ministry is a willingness to suffer for the gospel, it's faithfulness to the gospel, and thirdly, it's sacrificial love and care. Sacrificial love and care. Now, what comes to your mind when you think about sacrificial love? Who in your mind epitomizes sacrificial love? Surely near the top of that list is a mother. Perhaps especially a nursing mother. I mean, she takes care of her baby's every need. She's with her baby every moment. She gives of herself totally for her child. And this is how Paul describes his ministry among the Thessalonians. Look at verse seven and eight. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. The big, tough apostle Paul who had been flogged and beaten up and in prison, who had been uh, um, flogged repeatedly, who's often, Paul, written off as a misogynist, this Paul compares himself to a loving, nurturing mother. Now, have you ever seen a mum with a, a newborn child? She's gentle, she's caring, she's nurturing. And unlike dad, she generally doesn't need to be taught how to hold the baby. In fact, I googled man holding baby this week, and this came up. And this, and this. Now I know that I'm being very stereotypical, but generally speaking, mums are naturally nurturing. They love and care for their kids. They do anything for their kids. They lay down their lives for their kids. And Paul says, this is what we were like among you. This is what he says, verse eight. Because we loved you so much, Don't you just hear the heart of the Apostle Paul there? We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul's saying, we didn't just show up and preach. We shared our very lives with you. We opened ourselves up to you. We gave ourselves for you. And this is really important, especially for churches like ours, which which value and cherish the preaching of the Bible as we should. But an authentic ministry is more than just the sharing of information, just a a sermon or a Bible study. 
An authentic ministry is also the sharing of our lives, supporting and encouraging one another, grieving with and rejoicing with one another, sharing our lives. Now, let me just say that this is why church online is not enough. Now, it's good, it's a blessing, especially when we're in lockdown, especially for those who physically can't be with us. But under normal conditions and circumstances, church online is not enough. In fact, I think a bit about church online as our front door. It's a a way for people to check church out, to knock on the front door, to introduce themselves, but it's not a place to stay. You don't live in the front door. You need to come through to the living room where you can be known and build relationships, where you can share your life with others, where you can serve others. We can do all those things that God intended us to do. And this is how Paul describes his ministry among the Thessalonians. He shared his life with them. He was like a mother among them, caring for them. And like a mother, Paul says, he worked jolly hard. Look at verse nine. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Now, if you have young children, that might resonate with you, to work night and day. I mean, from the moment young kids wake up, it's it's go time. There's almost constant demands throughout the day. Feeding, cleaning, changing, washing, wiping. Comforting, disciplining, negotiating, distracting, more feeding, more cleaning, more changing, more wiping, breaking up fights, buckling into seats, unbuckling from seats, setting up prams, pulling down prams, wiping boogers, more feeding, more cleaning, more changing, more wiping, and on and on it goes until they fall asleep. And even then, not always over. During the night, there might be more feeding, more cleaning, more comforting. Can you tell that I've got young children? And this, on top of work and study and everything else, you wake up bleary-eyed, you need coffee, and then you've got to do it again. I think many parents would agree with Paul's assessment that it's toil and hardship, working night and day. And Paul was saying, this is how we worked among you to the Thessalonians. We didn't take advantage of you. We didn't stand aloof from you. We didn't preach and then disappear into green rooms. We shared our life with you. We lived among you. We worked hard on your behalf. We showed sacrificial love and care. And this is a sign of authentic Christian ministry. A willingness to suffer for the gospel, faithfulness to the gospel, sacrificial love and care, and fourthly and finally, encouragement to grow. Encouragement to grow. See, Paul shifts the metaphor in verses 10 and 12, which he often does, And he says, not only were we like a mother among you, but we were also like a father. This is what he says. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you. Now, you might not know this, but it's likely that Paul never had biological children of his own. But evidently, he'd witnessed the example of other dads. And he recognized that they were at their best when they were challenging their children to grow. You know, it's a bit of a running joke in our family about the way that dad taught us kids to swim. He preferred the sink or swim method. I have vivid memories of standing at the edge of a pool, 
dad just a few meters away saying, just dive in and swim, I've got you. And so I plunged myself into the water and flailed forward and it seemed like dad was getting further away because dad was getting further away. (laughs) He's moving backwards and he's coaxing us to swim further. And before you knew it, you'd, you'd made it to the other side of the pool. Now, Dad didn't want to scare us or drown us, I don't think. Haven't confirmed that yet with him. He did it to stretch us, to encourage us to grow and to go further. And this is what Paul did among the Thessalonians. He urged them and encouraged them to grow and to move forward. And this is what an authentic Christian ministry will do today. It will encourage you to grow in Christ. Now, to grow how exactly? To move forward to, to what end? Well, look at what Paul says there at the end of verse 12. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a daunting prospect. To live a life worthy of God. How can anyone's life be worthy of God? Now, the answer is no one if this means that we have to live a life that proves we are worthy of God's love. Because no one is worthy of God's love. But the wonderful good news of the gospel is that even though we don't deserve it, even though we have not earned it, God has loved us and made us worthy in Christ. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 verse 8. And that means we can now live our lives as loved people. We can now rest in God's acceptance and begin to reflect God's character. We can begin to pursue a life that is worthy of our gracious God. You know, the classic example of this is Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. I'm sure you've seen it or heard it, but if you haven't, Jean Valjean, who's already been in prison before, he steals some silverware from a priest and then runs away. He's caught and he's brought back. And the priest had the power to condemn him in that moment. But the priest insists and says, no, 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 I gave it to him as a gift. And he hands it to Jean Valjean and and he goes free. Now he is so transformed by that experience of mercy, of grace, that he is a changed man. He begins to live an honorable and a dignified life. He he acts as a father figure to a, a young girl. He becomes a benevolent carer for those in need. His life begins to reflect the love that he was shown. And it's the same for us in Christ. A love so deep, so wide, so great, it deserves more than just being talked about on Sundays. It demands our whole lives. Leon Morris says it this way, nothing less can be offered to him who gave his son for us than all that we have and all that we are. And we can gladly give all that we have and all that we are to God because he has gladly given all that he has to us in Christ. And he will gladly give us everything forever. That's what Paul goes on to say. He says that God calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Our final destination is to experience the glory of God and to live as members of God's everlasting kingdom. And this moves us to live lives worthy of him in the present. And so what a beautiful and compelling vision of ministry that we're given here in this chapter. 
this is what ministry should look like in the church. Not the abuse and the scandals and the greed and the cover-ups, but a willingness to suffer, a faithfulness to the gospel, sacrificial love and care, and encouragement to grow. Now, what does this mean for you as you go from here today? Well, if you're not a Christian and you've looked around at Christian ministries, at the abuse and the manipulation and so forth, if it's turned you off Jesus and the church, I would say that it's not what God intended. It's not the vision that God has for his church. And it's a result of human pride and human sin. And I would encourage you to look to Jesus and to look for a church that reflects this vision of ministry. If you're a Christian, I would encourage you to be discerning about the ministries that you listen to and engage with. Do they reflect this vision of what God wants for his church? And to all of us, I would say, let's foster and cultivate this vision here together. Let's come alongside one another in suffering. Let's speak and apply the gospel to one another. Let's love and care for one another and let's encourage one another to grow. This is what Paul did among the Thessalonians thousands of years ago. And this is what God wants us to do today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the encouragement in this passage to pursue this beautiful and compelling vision of Christian ministry. Lord, we repent and we apologize for where we've got it wrong. We're sorry for where we've fallen short and failed you and others. And we thank you that your grace picks us up, turns us around and points us forward. We ask that you would help us both individually and as a church to live lives that are worthy of the great love and grace you've shown us. Help us to reflect this love and help us to faithfully speak about the truth of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.